Well, uh, whatever we feel. And I'm going to talk about a miracle this morning that very much is in keeping with that idea. And if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. It's the story of the centurion. Now, tonight I'm going to be talking to you about one of the miracles that Jesus did that was quite incredible. And we read it. It's about the healing of a blind man and making of mud and spit that Jesus did. And we just think that's kind of strange. But back in those days, it meant something very significant and was shocking to people that observed it. And we'll talk about that tonight. And these miracle stories of Jesus... They are much more than just the miracle itself, as fascinating as one and as wonderful as they are. And I repeat this in every before every message that there were three reasons that Jesus performed miracles. One was he had compassion on people. He cares about people. He still cares about people. He still has compassion and he still performs miracles. Do you believe that? We don't just, we're just not victims of fate, but our, our lives are in his hands. And Jesus said, the sparrow, consider him, that, that even our heavenly father, when that sparrow falls, he sees that sparrow. Consider the lilies of the field, they, they toil not, they labor not, and how much, how beautifully they are clothed. How much more will our heavenly father, Jesus said, clothe you? And look after you. Well, um, the second reason for miracles is that Jesus wants us to know who he is. It demonstrates who he is, what his authority is, and it sets him apart from anybody else in history. And so the miracles are designed for those two reasons. And thirdly, and this is very significant, Every miracle teaches us something about the kingdom of God. Something he wants us to learn that has very practical application in our present lives and gives us a picture of the future, of what God has got in store uh, for us. And it also gives great warnings to people who have rejected him. Uh, Logan, you can turn those fans down just a little tad. Thank you. Uh, now, um, let's read this, if you have your Bibles. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, He was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside 
into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done to you as you believed it would. And a servant was healed at that moment. Uh, wow. Uh, Logan, I didn't mean for you to turn them right off, just down a little bit. Okay. And you can turn this one up a little bit too. Maybe you don't know where the switches are. Maybe, uh, uh, yeah, just thank you, because that's not something we do a lot in the winter. And, uh, okay, so thank you. Uh, a, a centurion, we're going to talk about him for a moment. In the Roman army, uh, there was the largest part of the army was called a legion, and that was about 6,000 so- soldiers. And then it was divided into two smaller groups. Uh, uh, one was called a cohort, which was um, a sixth of the legion, or rather a tenth of the legion, which was about 600 soldiers. And then the cohort was divided into six, which were called um, centuria. And the person who was in charge of a centuria was a centurion. So this centurion that came was to Jesus was in charge of about a hundred soldiers. He wasn't way up there in the Roman army, but he had a very significant position nonetheless. Now, uh, the servant that was sick, uh, this is extremely interesting because a servant had no status in Rome. They weren't citizens. In fact, they were mostly common slaves. They could be bought or sold. They could be beaten and tortured. And that was just the way it was to be a servant. You didn't want to be a servant to a Roman. But here this centurion comes all the way to where Jesus is. He makes a trip. It's some distance away. And he says, uh, Jesus, my servant, he lies sick. And uh, I just really, um, he's paralyzed. He lies at home and he's suffering terribly. Well, this puts this centurion apart from other people. Uh, This sets him apart in such a way that you don't expect to find. A Roman centurion would have lots of servants, and he mentions that later to Jesus. He says, I say to my servants, do this, and they do it. So he had many servants, and any servant would be expendable. You just, well, if he's paralyzed and he's suffering, let him die. That would be the the typical response of a Roman to a non-citizen servant. Very likely somebody had been captured in, uh, by some foreign country or sold in some way. This would not have been his home, and uh, he would have lived a very terrible life, no, no doubt. But instead, this centurion comes and says, Jesus, my servant, he's, he's paralyzed, and he's suffering greatly. Now, Jesus is very impressed by this. This is very, very uh, incredible as he, as he sees this guy coming. A, a Roman centurion were concerned about his servant? And so Jesus asks this question in verse 7. He says, shall I come and heal him? 
Now, this is unusual because usually people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you heal with me? Consider the woman with the, with the, the blood issue that could not be healed. And for years and years she had, she had been bleeding, uh, but no doctor could help her. No, there was no medicine available to her and she was weak and emaciated. Uh, from such a loss of blood over such an extended period of time. So she came to him and touched just his garment as he was walking by. So people would come to Jesus to be healed. The blind would come. People would bring their friends and their families. They would all come to Jesus and ask for healing. But in this instance, Jesus asks the centurion if he wants him to heal his servant. Now, it's sort of like the obvious question, maybe. Obviously, the centurion knew that Jesus could heal, otherwise he would have never come and expressed so so passionately the need that his servant had. So, so the centurion knew that Jesus could heal, but he never actually requested the same. He just said, he's sick. Desperately sick. And Jesus asked the question, would you like me to come and heal him? This is really quite amazing when you look at it from that standpoint. Now, the centurion was taking a great risk. Um, Centurions were, well, the Romans were hated by the Jews because the Romans would uh, kill Jews. Later on, when the church was born, uh, so many Christians were just murdered by the Romans. And up to this time, many people were murdered. Just anybody in that they suspected of not complying with Roman law. In fact, at the time, there were a whole group of Jews called insurrectionists. Barabbas was one of them at the time of the death of Jesus. And these insurrectionists would try to, they had little daggers, and they'd come along and under their cloak, and when a soldier wasn't watching, they'd, they'd kill him. They'd, they'd take the dagger and kill the soldier. And uh, so they would be hung on crosses when caught. And so it was common to see people hanging on crosses all through Israel uh, because they had done something to offend the Romans. So here is a centurion who's not loved by the Jews. If anything, they were crying out to Jesus, Jesus, you're the Messiah, overthrow Rome and establish again the kingdom of David. That was their cry. The Jews hated the Romans because they were occupying their nation, their holy land. And this centurion, knowing that Jesus is a Jew, knowing the Jews around him would not like him, took a great risk. What would people think? Would he lose his job? What if news of this got back to his superiors? Um, would they dismiss him? Maybe they'd even execute him for insubordination or consorting or colluding, if you will, with the enemy. And uh, we don't know what they would have done, but no doubt he took a great risk. So Jesus said, do you want me to heal your servant? And this was the centurion's reply. It's in verse 8 and 9. 
the centurion cried. Uh, no. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. So, now wait a minute. Jesus is a Jew. He's a Rome, a Roman. He's not just any Roman. He's a centurion. So if anything, the concept that people would have is that that um, it would be the opposite of that. The Romans would say, no Jew is allowed in my, my house. But the centurion says, I don't deserve to have you come to my house. So it's a total inversion. And Jesus is observing all of this. And so are all the people. But just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this centurion has so much faith in Jesus that he says, just say the word. Well, did you know that he's present here today? He's present in your life. He's present in his body, the church. And he's present in his word. I look at Bibles open on the front seat, and some of you have your Bibles on, on your app and, and are watching or, or are reading from that standpoint. It's the word of God. And as you open the word of God, things change. Your perspective changes. Instead of all of the circumstances that would create doubt and fear and, and maybe sickness. A servant who is in peril. Whatever the circumstance might be. In the word, there's an answer. And as you read the word, it's just like sometimes it leaps off the page. That's it. And sometimes it doesn't leap off the page, but you do what it says anyway as obedience to Christ. And the word, oh, just say the word. When we wake up in the morning and through the day, <laughs> I met, Merle's not here this morning, but last Sunday night I was coming home from the from the prison after service there, and Marlene was still in Halifax, and so I was hungry, and I thought, well, I'll just swing down through town, and then the festival had started up again, so I went down through Stellarton, and I went to Sam's for a slice of pizza. And in walks Merle. We had to wait. The pizza wasn't ready, the slices, and he's standing there, and he's telling me about how excited he is about Jesus, and this guy's just bubbling over <laughs> with excitement, and here's what he told me. He said, I have a job. They put me on a machine where I'm all by myself. And so all day long, I have these buds in my ear, and the Bible is playing all day long. Now, Merle's a new Christian. And he just got his sobriety uh, thing uh, from AA just a year and three months ago. And he's, he's saying to me, you know, when I first listened to Romans, I didn't understand it. And then Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Corinthians. And as they, as they, I, I did. But then when I listened to them the second time a little more. And every time I listened to them, I learned more and more and more. And I'm thinking, this guy's in the Word six, seven hours a day. Who? <laughs> 
He's going someplace. Brothers and sisters, just say the word, Lord. And it will give me direction. It'll give me hope. It'll counsel me. Because Jesus, you are, after all, the wonderful counselor. And the centurion said, just say the word. Wow. Uh, He recognized that the authority of Jesus was greater than the authority of Rome and its emperor. There was no worldly authority that stood above the authority of the word of Jesus. And it's easy for us, though we're not living under some kind of dictatorship or some cruel emperor, but it's easy for us to put the views and the opinions and the philosophies of this world above the word of Christ. We can so take from our own ideas things that are exalted above the Lord. And these become actual, actually places where principalities and evil powers can connect to us and displace the authority of the word of Jesus. And this Roman centurion said, no, Rome is not above Jesus. Jesus is above Rome. And secondly, he just recognized the authority of the words of Jesus. If Jesus says it, there's no ifs, ands, buts, or doubts about it. He will do it. There's never any shadow of turning with him, the Bible says. There's no variableness. He is not one thing one day and another thing another day. He isn't in a bad mood in the morning and okay, maybe a little bit at night. He doesn't fluctuate. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one and the only constant that there is. And... um, the Saturian also recognized something. That, and that was that Jesus is not limited to time or space. Like, we are so confined by space. Like, we can't be here and at home at the same time or on the job or somewhere else. We are in one place at one time. But Jesus wasn't so confined. He didn't have to go to the centurion's house. Uh, to where the servant was lying sick. In fact, when he spoke the word, the servant wouldn't even hear it because it was some distance away. (laughs) But he would certainly feel the benefit of it. Um, This centurion is amazing. He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's a Greek. And yet he says, Jesus, I say to my soldiers, do this, they do it. My servants do this and they do it. And Jesus, all you have to say is the same thing. And my servant will be healed. And then Jesus replied, and this is quite incredible. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Usually, when people come to Jesus and see him for all he is, we are amazed at him. And no doubt the centurion was amazed at Jesus. But we don't see a whole lot of places in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus was amazed about a person. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us or care about us or, you know, or anything. But this man, 
stood above the crowd when it came to his faith. Because first of all, he wasn't a Jew. He didn't have the history of the Old Testament heroes of faith or the stories of faith or the instructions of faith. He, he didn't, he was not raised, if you can put it in today's context, a Christian home. He didn't know all the Bible stories about Samson or David or all the Psalms or the prophets or any of the stories of, of Moses or anybody else. He, he, he didn't know any about that, anything about that, not likely at least. And yet he still had faith that he would cause him to say the things like this. And Jesus was amazed. Now, if Jesus was amazed, what do you think the rest of the people thought? Well, they had to be dumbfounded. What's this guy doing here? The risk he's taking. And for a servant, a nobody, a non-citizen, somebody who can be bought and sold, this guy's maybe high on meth or something, whatever. I mean, this, this can't be, this can't be, uh, uh, there's something going on. He's, he's flipped his wig or something or lid, uh, whatever. I don't know what he, they would have said, but this just was not something they expected. And, uh, and he's, and he said to those following him, not to the centurion, But to those following him, he turned and said, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So in Israel, where you would think there would be great faith because of the legacy of these, this, this special group of people, this special holy nation, being a nation that had all the benefits of the Old Testament covenant, they had all of the law and the the Torah and all of the prophets. They had King David. They had it all. And yet, Jesus said, in all of Israel, with all the benefits, with all the privileges, I have not found faith that comes close to the faith of this Roman, this Gentile. So you see, In every miracle, there's a lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Something he wants us to learn. And one of those things is that religion is not the way to God. It's not the vehicle through which faith is expressed. You can have all of the Old Testament law and, 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 and you could, as the Pharisees did, try to set rules. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. This means that. This means the other thing. All the temple sacrifices. You can have all of that and miss the whole thing. You can sit in church. Listen to the message. Faithfully tithe. Faithfully do the things that are expected of you as a Christian. And you know what? You can just do it repetitively, repetitively and Kind of missed the whole point. And that whole point is that faith is about Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about some kind of an organization. Yes, there is a body. And yes, God calls us into a body. But the body does not function for in, in some kind of introspective, self-serving way. The body of Christ, the church, functions 
in relation to Jesus as a group of people who recognize that his authority is above the authority of any court in the land, any king or prime minister or president in the land. The authority of Jesus stands above every authority that expresses itself through philosophy, through any kind of man-made idea. It, it, Jesus is the transcendent one, and it's him who we worship. He is the center. And as we come together as a group, it's not for self-serving. It's for serving him and loving him. Wow. I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. And then Jesus um, gives a very stern warning. And he's not talking to the centurion now. He's talking to his followers. And he says this to them in verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, from the east of Israel and from the west of Israel, from parts that are not Israel. In other words, Gentiles. And they will take their place in the kingdom of heaven. Now, any Pharisee listening to this would be highly offended. Any religious person who who banked on the religion of, of, of the Jews would be very offended. We are the special people. We are the chosen people. We are the race that counts. And Jesus said, you know what? People are going to come from other places and take their place in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, people who've had the privilege of the kingdom, they'll be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying this to the Jews. He's saying this to those who have considered themselves to be superior religiously to any other group of people who had disdain and contempt for the Romans and would have been totally offended about this conversation between the centurion and Jesus. And Jesus warns them and says, listen, you're going to mess around with sin? You're going to mess around with the idea of supremacy, of white supremacy? Of Jew supremacy, of any kind of supremacy that in some way puts you above another person. You're going to think that way. You're going to act that way. You're going to think that you're uh, greater than your wife. Therefore, you can treat her any which way you want or your children any way you, which way you want or, or, or however it expresses itself. This idea that we can do what we want. By the way, uh, <laughs> there's a, there are ideas that float around about homosexuality and uh, that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is okay. And this story is one of the stories that is used uh, as evidence of that. And what is said is that uh, 
The only, re- the only way the centurion would have this kind of affection for his servant is that they had to be lovers. And uh, Jesus endorsed it by healing the, the servant. Well, there's just no basis to believe that, even if you look at the, the, the Greek words that are involved or the without getting into that, there's no basis for that. But more importantly than that, that misses the whole point of what happened in this miracle. And that that wasn't some kind of a homosexual relationship between the centurion and his servant. But what it was was the amazing concern and compassion that someone who is seen as greater had for, had for someone who was seen as lesser. And it was that which caused Jesus to be amazed. And the risk that this centurion would take. And in case you're wondering, the Bible says, don't be deceived. Homosexuals will not see the kingdom of God. But it doesn't just say homosexuals. People who practice sex before marriage, fornicators, adulterers. And this is, this is all uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can read it there for yourself. And those aren't the only sins that are listed of envy and jealousy and anger. Those are listed along with these other ones. It's not that one is worse than the other. It's that we're all guilty of one or more of, or even all of them. But the point of First Corinthians isn't to condemn us for our sin, but point us to Jesus for this, that text says, and such were some of you. That's not who you are now, but you were washed and you were cleansed and you were sanctified. Those are the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So be careful that you don't rest, the Bible says, or manipulate the scriptures to your own destruction. Because lots of people will do that to justify their sin. Instead of that, confess your sins because Jesus is faithful and he's just. And he will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't have to live in sin or defeat. Aren't you glad? That you know Jesus. Are you? How many are glad that you know Jesus? You're one of those ones who are estranged and far off, but you've been drawn by his grace and his love. And you've been born again. You're a new creation in Christ. So how did Jesus respond to the faith of the centurion? Uh, Jesus said to the centurion, this is verse 13, Go! Now, the words that would follow after that (laughs) would make all the difference. Like, go, get out of my face. You're a Roman, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And, And act towards him like everybody else in the crowd would have had they had the chance. But that's not what he said. Go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. No wonder Jesus said, I haven't seen in all of Israel faith like this centurion has. 
Just as you believed it would, so be it. And he said, and his servant was healed at that very moment. Do you believe in miracles today? There's the miracles of healing. There's the miracles of salvation. But there's the miracle, what Jesus demonstrated here, of enemy love. Because Jesus said, love your enemies and those who persecute you, do good to them. And here's what, here's how Jesus demonstrated enemy love. First of all, there was no lecture. So, you want me to heal your servant? Let me talk to you a little bit about the emperor you serve and how corrupt he is and how terrible the Romans are. How could you possibly be a centurion in such a group? There was no lecture. And the Bible tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can come to Jesus. We can come to God. And he never scolds us for our past mistakes. Secondly, uh, enemy love serves the needs of the enemy. And that means you don't just refrain from hurting them. Like you had the chance to knock his block off, but you didn't take that chance. It's more than that. It's doing good to them. And and it's not talking about them behind their back or maligning them in some way. But in fact, Jesus would often do things to bless people without their knowledge. God does that all the time for us. And that's what enemy love, love is, is. You love your enemies. And uh, this was the truth of the kingdom that went all way beyond the actual physical miracle of healing that took place. And you know what? Having that attitude of heart change is just as much a miracle as was the healing of the servant. If you're filled with hate or animosity towards someone or filled with rage or uh, whatever... And you surrender that to Jesus and say, oh God, I believe that you can change me. And let the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God connected with the Word of God start to affect the processes of change that makes you every day more like Jesus. And you can look back and say, that's the way I used to be, but I'm not that way anymore. Um, go, he said. Everyone from sitting here this morning will do that in a few minutes. We'll go. We'll leave this place. But how will we leave? Will we leave believing that Jesus is our source, that he transcends time and space, that his word is all authority? Uh, Will we believe that he is greater than our needs or our problems or our sicknesses, our stresses, whatever? Or, or, or will we just go back into a default of succumbing to all of the fears and the anxieties that are produced by those things? <laughs> Angel, would you come here, please? And uh, uh, I asked her if she knew this song, and she didn't. So, um, 
I sent it to her, a YouTube version of it, and she had never heard it before. But I wanted her to sing it, so she's learned it. And they spent, Marlene and her spent time practicing, uh, probably all of two minutes uh, before this. I want you to really listen to the words of this song. Join the angel in the course. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, he cleansed and made me whole. It took a miracle of love and grace. Are you grateful? for that miracle this morning. Do you need a miracle this morning? Do you need God to intervene in your life in some way? I'm going to ask you to stand and 
Victorian angel as she sings that. And as she does, just release your faith to Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you want special prayer for something, we're going to go into a time of worship. And the worship team is coming now to just uh, be ready uh, whenever this this chorus is sung. Uh, If you need special prayer, just as this is being sung, come and stand along the front here. And we're going to ask the Sutherland family to come in just a few moments, too, because this might be the last Sunday that they're here. They're moving away. We're going to miss them. We want you guys to come. We want to pray for you this morning at the front. But uh, sing along with Angel. Will you do that?